you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Tonight on The Readout. We thank you for your effort. We thank you for your support. You helped us get a ticket punched out of the Hawkeye State. I can safely say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. The also-rans claiming small victories, even though they each got walloped by the inevitable nominee, Donald Trump. Apparently put in place by God, because as one Iowan put it, God picks unusual people. Also tonight, Michigan Governor and Biden campaign co-chair Gretchen Whitmer joins me to discuss the Democrats' view of the Republican race and whether President Biden has a Michigan problem. Plus, the war on Dr. King's memory. There is more to his legacy than just that one speech that Republicans often misuse for their own political aims. But we begin tonight with Iowa's choice. Today, the winner of that state's Republican presidential caucuses, Donald Trump, spent a significant part of the day after, not in New Hampshire, as presidential history would suggest, but in a Manhattan courthouse for the beginning of a trial to determine how much he has to pay in damages to a woman he was found liable for sexually abusing and defaming. Let's just establish that straight away. Because Donald Trump's victory in Iowa is being sold as a great night for him since it solidifies the four times indicted former president's place atop the Republican field. When you really get down to it, though, it is a win that's as unimpressive as it is uninspiring. Yes, it shows the Republican Party is still Donald Trump's party. Although getting 51 percent while basically running as a presidential incumbent isn't a great sign since real talk. 48% of Iowans said, actually, maybe not, and voted for one of the also-rans, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Now, the problem for them and their potential path forward, especially for Haley, is clearly spelled out right there by Iowa Republican caucus goers. About two-thirds of them said Donald Trump would still be fit to be president if he were to be convicted of a crime according to NBC News entrance poll results. In fact, the majority of Iowa caucus goers who identified as very conservative said Trump would be fit to be president if convicted of a crime, along with a majority of voters who identify as white evangelical or born-again Christian, 57%. And that's where the real problem for the also-rans lies, white evangelical voters. Trump not only seems to have worked out his 2016 problem with evangelical voters, he's consolidated them around him. 55% of Iowa's caucus goers identified as white, born again, or evangelical Christian. And among them, 53% chose Donald Trump. 27% Ron DeSantis. 13% chose Nikki Haley, with 7% picking Vivek Ramaswamy. Iowa is one of the more evangelical states in the country, especially when it comes to Republican politics. That's not news. After all, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed that state's six-week abortion ban into law at the right-wing Family Leadership Summit, a must-stop for 2024 Republican hopefuls. But Iowa isn't the only state where white evangelicals are overrepresented in the Republican electorate. 
which, as we all know, does not reflect the country as a whole. That's not even a dig at white evangelicals. It's just math. 55% of Iowa Republican caucus goers said that they identify as white evangelical Christians. But according to Public Religion Research Institute, only 14% of Americans, one four in general, are white evangelicals. However, they are heavily concentrated in the Republican Party. Where Trump didn't do so well last night was in the parts of Iowa that look more like the rest of the country. Nikki Haley handed him his only defeat in Johnson County, winning by a single vote. That county is home to Iowa City and the University of Iowa, you know, a diverse college town, likely full of the same type of college-educated or independent voters that Haley is banking on as she moves on to New Hampshire. While Ron DeSantis went straight to South Carolina today in the hopes that he can peel off a tiny remaining sliver of white evangelicals from Trump there. But for Nikki Haley, the question becomes, where do you go? And while she's likely to do well with New Hampshire's large number of independent voters, success there could just be the beginning of a pipe dream. Although she did show one little bit of gumption today, refusing to participate in any more debates unless Donald Trump participates. Now, a planned New Hampshire debate scheduled for Thursday has been scrapped. But after New Hampshire, for Haley, it's back to her home state of South Carolina, which happens to have an even higher percentage of white evangelical voters. And the numbers only get more daunting come Super Tuesday. But with white evangelical voters now fully embracing not only Donald Trump, but also trending toward a full-throated embrace of Christian nationalism, a stunning new ad from the Lincoln Project reminds us what that would mean for America. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a man to test the will and goodness of a free people. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who failed in everything but theft and broken promises to live in a golden palace and convince the poor he serves their needs. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a wicked man to lead the common folk with hatred and fear. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a corrupt man who is above the law and immune from justice. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who will use violence to seize power. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man whose followers will call black white, call evil good, and call criminals hostages. So God made a dictator. God said, I need a man who breaks the faith of even his most godly followers and leads them to idolatry, place him above me. So God made a dictator. Joining me now is Robert P. Jones, president and founder of the Public Religion Research Institute, and Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project, who once served as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill before leaving the party. Uh, it's your organization's ad, Tara, so I will let you start. It's a brilliant ad. Well done. Uh, who is it aimed at? Who's the target audience? You know, well, the target audience is actually everyone, because I think that at this point, a lot of people are not paying attention. It's not necessarily the MAGAs who are in the death cult, uh, the religious Christian nationalist death cult, because obviously they're unmovable. But it's to everyone else that isn't part of that to get them to realize that this is real. This is something that people, millions of people in this country believe. And we need to juxtapose, juxtapose that image with what the choices are coming up in this election cycle. It's a binary choice. You know, Donald Trump's campaign actually has been showing uh, a, a similar ad called God Made Trump. That's why we responded. We said, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, God also allowed for dictators, too. So let's let's show the blasphemy that is coming out of the evangelical right um, with this God complex 
that that Donald Trump and his supporters are putting forth here. You know, the evangelical church has failed this country. Not only have they failed America, but they've also failed Christianity. They are so far away from the gospels of Jesus. Could you imagine if the evangelical church actually followed what they claim to preach in the Bible? We wouldn't have had four years of Donald Trump. We wouldn't have had an insurrection in January 6th. We wouldn't have had the cruelty that we saw with kids in cages. We wouldn't have this idea that character doesn't seem to matter anymore. Could you imagine the kind of country we would have, we would have had by now if evangelicals actually followed the Bible they claim to work? Instead, they're following their God, their golden orange God in Donald Trump. And this is a way of us pointing that out. Uh, that brings us to you, Robbie Jones. Um, let me play for you first a Sioux County, Iowa evangelical voter, uh, aforementioned, and uh, a Trump voter, and then I'll play you a Nikki Haley voter. You know, God picks unusual people to do great works, and I think he's picking Trump for a great work in our day. The evangelical Christians have bought, and by the way, I consider myself one, uh, have, have come to the point where they believe that Donald Trump is speaking their kind of issues. They think they need somebody that can take on the, quote, libs. And so they, they've sold out. To, uh is right. Uh, and, and how did we get here, Robbie? Well, you know, to that last point, I think it's much more than owning the libs, right? It's a much bigger vision than that. And I think what we see here is, you know, this tells us more, this relationship tells us less about Trump and it tells us much more about who evangelicals think they are. And I think that is the bigger vision here that that is becoming really nakedly exposed. And it is this claim, right, that this country is theirs, right, that they are the rightful inheritors, the rightful owners of this country. And as their numbers shrink, I mean, that's important to say, like, as you said in the intro, they make up 14 percent of the country right now. But they are accustomed to being sort of the majority political demographic power in the country. And as those numbers are shrunk, we are seeing this desperate move uh, here. And I, I, I think just want to agree here that it is time to sound the alarm. Right. We can't just kind of be on the sideline thinking, oh, this is Trump being Trump or it's a political sideshow. Um, it is a two-person race, as Haley said, but not the way she means it, right? I mean, the Republican primary is over after yeah. Iowa, right? Um, and what we have here now is one of our two political parties with a president who has an explicitly fascist agenda uh, that he's trying to bring to America, and he's bringing it with the blessings of our most church-going uh, constituency in the country. That is white evangelical Protestants. And what do they want, uh, uh, Robbie? What is it that they... What is it that they think they're going to get if they get the dictate the Trump dictatorship of their dreams? Yeah. Well, I think we've got some, you know, uh, clues in the data here. You know, we, we have, for example, uh, two thirds of white evangelicals qualify as Christian nationalists who think that, for example, uh, the U.S. law should be based on the Bible and the U.S. should declare itself to be a exclusively Christian nation. Um, we have uh, even we asked explicitly about a white Christian nation. Um, we have a majority of white evangelicals who agree uh, that uh, this nation was ordained by God to be a promised land for European Christians. Right. That's the positive vision. And if we listen to Trump, we, we hear that right in his recent speeches um, when he gave in New Hampshire, where, you know, he vilified immigrants as contaminants that were poisoning the blood of the country, he called them vermin. And they promised to screen out immigrants to bar those who don't like, quote, our religion, right? So this is this establishment of this ethno-religious white Christian America as the vision that, that he's promising to bring back. 
and evangelicals are really all in on that project. And, and you know, the, the, the problem that Nikki Haley is going to have, Tara, is that she is the daughter of brown immigrants <laughs> um, whose family, she even admits face racism, even though she says there is no racism, but she somehow right. faced the thing that doesn't exist. Um, and, you know, she's running now thinking that she can win over a party that is substantially consisting of those exact same evangelicals. Let me play a poor Ramaswamy. Apoorva Ramaswamy, uh, her husband, obviously, he only got about 7% in Iowa. But this is her actually talking to Iowa voters about her husband's campaign. And here is what she was told by voters in that state. What do people say gives them, like, oh, I can't vote for him because what are the things that they tell you? What, what answers can I help you provide? Well, the only one I've had, and I don't even, couldn't even remember who said that to me, but they mentioned about you know, this dark skin, you know, and they think Muslim right away. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of set them straight on that, whether they believe yeah. or thought I was covering for him. I don't know. They mentioned his dark skin, and they think he's Muslim. And he's ne- she's now getting birthered, by the way, by Donald Trump. How does she is there any chance that that party and those were two perfectly nice people, but that the people they're describing would ever make her the nominee? No, no, I there. This is all wish casting. I mean, God bless Nikki Haley for trying, except that she's never really run and taken it to Donald Trump. Um, and she's running in a party that believes that. Indian Americans were responsible for 9-11 still. I mean, or they don't like his last name. This has, you know, weird reminiscent vibes of the Barack Obama situation is the same thing. They didn't like his name. You know, it, it was that he was a Muslim. He's not one of us. This is something that is not okay in this country. This country is changing. Lots more people are biracial like me. And soon there are going to be more minorities in the majority than white people. And that is scaring a lot of Americans, unfortunately, who subscribe to the type of xenophobia and racism that Donald Trump puts out there, the fear of the other. I'm sorry, but there are a lot of people in this country that don't agree with that. And they need to have a permission structure as Republicans. We call them the Bannon line voters. Those are the people that are gettable. They're not comfortable with Donald Trump and that talk. They're not comfortable with the Hitler hero worship. But they need a permission structure to be able to vote for Joe Biden, who, by the way, has never had aspirations to become a dictator. That that matters. And he's not out here, you know, pointing out, uh, you know, calling, you know, different minorities poison um, to the blood of America. This is what our ads are. Those are the people our ads are pointing to. That's why it's so important, because those Bannon line voters, those like seven to 12 percent of the Republicans and independents that lean Republican in swing states, they're the ones who are going to be the difference in this election in those key swing states five or six of them um, to make the difference. And so that's who we have to that's who we have to target because they're not comfortable with this kind of language or this attitude. But that's yeah. that Nikki Haley doesn't stand a chance. She has to get out of the primary. Yeah. Those people are Republican primary voters. Good luck. And, you know, Robbie, I mean, Nikki Haley did manage to get almost 20 percent in Iowa. And then if you add her to Apoorva's husband, uh, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, he got 7 percent. So there is like a small percentage of the Republican Party that is open to voting for a minority woman candidate, almost 20 percent. But the demographics don't look favorable to her because isn't, you know, South Carolina is even more white evangelical states like Arkansas, states like Mississippi. You know, where is there even a a sort of, you know, 
a set of voters that are that are large enough in number for her? Because isn't the white evangelical base even larger outside of Iowa? Right. Yeah, I, I don't see Elaine, you know, here for, for Haley. I mean, she even borrowed here, um, uh, even in um, Iowa, she was borrowing from independent and Democrats who cross over, right, registered as Republicans to participate in the caucuses. So I, I just don't see Elaine, uh, you know, for her going forward here. I mean, this is really Donald Trump's race uh, yeah. and the, the train has left the station. I think that's the way we've got to think. About Very this. quickly before I let you go, how do you explain? Because we talked about white evangelicals, but let me talk about a black evangelical real quick. Ben Carson mm. compared Donald Trump to King David, which I found very odd. What is that? Going, what's going on there? Well, look, I mean, evangelicals have fished around for any number of explanations to square the circle of their support for, for Donald Trump. I, I think in more than King David, the one that has landed is King Cyrus. Right. Um, because David is sort of like a positive king. But Cyrus, right, is the godless king uh, who nonetheless uh, sets the Jews free from Babylon. Right. Um, but, you know, this is all uh, a kind of retrofitted theology uh, for a political agenda, yeah. again, to kind of hold on to this vision of a white Christian American. It is the golden calf. And worship of it uh, is considered quite a sin if you read your Bible. Uh, Robert Jones, Tara Setmeyer, thank you both. Up next on The Readout, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer joins me with the Democratic reaction to Iowa and President Biden's efforts to drum up support in that absolutely vital swing state. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. The question before Americans is now very clear. Do you want more of the same? Trump and Biden are both about 80 years old. Trump and Biden both lack a vision for our country's future because both are consumed by the past, by investigations, by vendettas, by grievances. America deserves better. That was Nikki Haley delivering a pretty compelling closing argument after coming in third in Iowa. Despite Trump's large lead, there is still a fever, despite Trump's large lead there and, and nationally, there's still this like fever dream among some Republicans that Nikki Haley can somehow defeat Trump and then take on Biden. A new CBS YouGov poll conducted before the Iowa caucuses, which I present to you with the caveat that polls this far out are just a snapshot and not necessarily meaningful. However, it is data. And it does show that if a head-to-head matchup were held today, Haley would win the general election by eight points, 53% to 45%, faring better than both Trump and Ron DeSantis, 
who also lead Biden, but by smaller margins that are within the poll's margin of error. Joining me now is Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. She is a co-chair of President Biden's reelection campaign. Uh, Governor, uh, thank you so much for being here. I, uh, let me just ask you the direct question. How concerned is the Biden White House that by some you know, miracle they are facing Nikki Haley rather than Donald Trump? Well, listen, I think the results last night out of Iowa tell us what we've all kind of suspected is that Donald Trump still has a a grip on the Republican Party. He and his MAGA extremists are the are the the standard bearers for today's Republican Party. And it's not reflective of who we are as a nation. It's not reflective of where we need to be headed as a country as we think about our standing globally. President Biden, on the other hand, gave a speech, you know, near Valley Forge and Charleston talking about the real threat to American democracy and fundamental freedoms, which have been under attack, especially these last few years, as you think about reproductive rights. And so I do think that um, it's always, always going to be a competitive race, especially in a state like mine. But at the end of the day, voters are smart. They're going to vote for the person that really is waking up in the morning, thinking about them and working tirelessly to make their lives better. And there's no question in my mind that that candidate is Joe Biden. So I'm glad that you mentioned reproductive rights. I mean, that is an issue that I I think most Democrats expect to galvanize much of the base. Um, But there is now an issue that is competing, that is also galvanizing people who are in the Democratic base, just not in the direction of Joe Biden. I want to play a uh, Katie to our great uh, reporter was in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire yesterday, and she interviewed a liberal voter. Uh, And I want you to listen to what she said about um, Nikki Haley versus President Biden. Would you consider Haley? Yes. You would? Yeah. Even though you're heavily liberal? Yes. Why? Because I think both sides have had their fill of old white men. And it's time for younger, more new blood to come in. If it's Haley versus Biden, who would you vote for? Haley. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, mostly over his politics with Israel right now. Huh. Yeah. Would her politics be much different? I think that she's more willing to listen and negotiate than what Biden's doing right now. Okay, now, but just as a fact check for our audience, before I have you respond to that, let me play Nikki Haley's actual beliefs about Gaza and Israel. Here they are. I'm assuming the position, therefore, is America should not take them either. Absolutely not. They should go to Hamas-loving countries, Iraq, Qatar, Turkey, those three countries, they can go to that. But it's very telling that here you've got the people in Gaza that Egypt doesn't even want them, you know, that none of those countries want them. You know why? Because they don't know which ones are Hamas and which ones aren't. Why should anybody else take them if that's the case? And so it is not Israel's problem. It's not America's problem. Ouch. Okay. So with that set up, there is still a perception that there are a lot of voters and young voters and some not so young who would prefer a candidate who they see as more compassionate about Palestinians. And clearly that ain't Nikki Haley, but some people think it might be. There is a national, there is a, the national director of the Arab American Anti-Discrimination Committee. Um, his name is Abed Ayub. He tweeted that President Biden is coming to your state, to Michigan, to meet with Arab American voters. He's going to travel there, but there's a problem. Many are rejecting the invite to meet. The reality is starting to set in for many in our community that they won't forget about the genocide. Does President Biden have a Gaza problem? 
So here's here's what I know. Coming from a state that is proud to have a robust Arab American population and a robust Jewish population, people came to Michigan from around the world for a good paying job at Ford Motor Company or GM. And um, that's why we've got this wonderful diversity. These communities have lived as neighbors in harmony for decades. People are hurting in both communities. There is no question about that. And as we see younger voters engaging and speaking up about what they think the right policy should be, we know that voters are not a monolith. They're not one-issue voters. They are care about making sure that we've got a president who is leading, who is rolling up their sleeves, who is worried about both communities and and trying to find a solution here, as opposed to the alternative, which is going to be someone who once promoted a Muslim ban. These voters, too, many young voters care about climate change and reproductive rights and LGBTQ rights and being able to afford a house when they graduate from college. And that's why I'm excited about barnstorming the state this weekend to talk about the anniversary of Bro and what's really at stake in this upcoming election, because there are a lot of issues here. And that's why I think this work is so important. And that's why telling people what our president has been able to accomplish is going to be crucial to as we get closer to next year, to and, the and election I, later this year. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the president has to try to tell his story. But on this specific issue, are you concerned? concerned that Michigan could be in play because there is a lot of anecdotal reporting that Arab American voters are saying they're going to stay home. And Dearborn, as you said, it could flip the state. Yeah. Of course I'm concerned, Joy. I think I'm always concerned about what way Michigan's going to fall on a national election. We often decide the path to the White House goes right through this state. Um, And this is a very important block of voters, but they're also sophisticated voters who I think are going to really look at what the alternatives are. And at this point, an assumption about where one candidate may be versus what we what we know the truth to be, that will all get fleshed out and much clearer in people's minds as we get closer to the election. Uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, and very able uh, spokesperson for the Biden campaign uh, and a very popular governor. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. And coming up, Trump was back in a New York City courtroom today where a jury will decide how much money he will have to pay for defaming his adjudicated sexual abuse victim, E. Jean Carroll, a second time. Of course, that didn't stop him from defaming her yet again in a pretrial tantrum on social media. can live out your master chef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too.
And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Fresh off his victory in Iowa, Donald Trump was back in a New York City courtroom for the first day of his second civil defamation trial brought by writer E. Jean Carroll, stemming from her accusations that Trump sexually abused her back in the 1990s. Unlike the first trial last year, there is no question as to whether Trump defamed or sexually abused Carroll. A jury found Trump liable on both counts. Yes, the leading Republican presidential candidate was found liable for sexual abuse. But apparently that isn't a deal breaker for Trump's devout evangelical followers. But I digress. Now, it's simply a question now of how much Trump owes in damages for his defamatory comments made during his presidency and following last year's verdict. Comments he continues to repeat to this day. Just this morning, as Trump was heading into the courtroom, he posted more than 30 times about Carol, including some of the same defamatory statements that brought him to court yet again. Joining me now is Adam Rees, NBC News producer and reporter who is in the courtroom today, and Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney, University of Michigan law professor and MSNBC legal analyst. Adam, I will start with you. Uh, What went on in court today? Well, another day, another courtroom. All he had to do was walk across the street. He arrived this morning at 930. He walked over to the defense table. He took off his overcoat. Ten feet away from him sitting is E. Jean Carroll at the defense is table. Is the first time they've been in the same room? First time in 28 wow. years. Wow. They didn't look at each other. They didn't turn around. And Alina Haba immediately made some motions. She wanted to delay the trial. She wanted to put off Thursday's testimony because he has to go to his mother-in-law's funeral. Judge Kaplan is not having any of it. We got right down to jury selection. The pool was asked there. Uh, age, their occupation, what does their spouse do? Where do they get their news from? That was very interesting. Yeah, for jury selection. Mm -hmm. And uh, has Mr. Trump been treated unfairly? Was the 2020 election stolen? To those questions, a couple people said yes. Of course, they weren't put on the jury. A nine-person jury is seated. Mr. Trump leaves to go to New Hampshire. And after lunch, we had opening statements. Eugene Carroll's attorney says the sexual assault and defamation, that has been settled. He's been found guilty. Five million dollars. We are for damages, and she has been damaged. She, her life has been turned upside down. She gets death threats. She gets email threats, a fusillade. It, he's just, his supporters have just ambushed her, yeah. and her life is not the same. For uh, Trump's part, Alina Haba said that this is exactly what she wanted. She's famous again. She's getting all the fame and notoriety. She's writing columns. She's making TV appearances. She will be on the stand tomorrow under direct. And then cross-examination will be very interesting. And Judge Kaplan will be very strict as to what he allows those attorneys to ask. And I want to talk about the the order in this this trial with you, Barbara. But very quickly, before I go to Barb, um, there's also extreme secrecy of this jury. The judge telling them, don't use your real names, right? And don't use them even with each other. 
you're, they're anonymous. They will be taken to a certain location and then bust to the courthouse. Just like last year's trial, same room, same seating. Yeah. He said, if your name's Bob, you might want to tell the guy next to you your name is John. Wow. That's I mean, and that just shows you the threat that they are under because they are, are, are uh, adjudicating a case with Trump in it. Barb, let's talk about this order. So Judge Lewis Kaplan. And I will note also that Alina Haba's name was called because she is now the lawyer because Joe Takapina, who you probably saw do a lot of TV, is now off the case. He has resigned from all cases related to Donald J. Trump. Whole nother issue. We would love to have Joe Takapina on. So please call us if you we, we reached out to him. We would love to have him on. All right. So this is Judge Lewis Kaplan's order. Defendant and his counsel are precluded in the presence of the jury from offering any evidence, argument or comments suggesting or implying that Mr. Trump did not sexually abuse Ms. Carol, as uh, Adam just said. How do they enforce that, Barb? So th- this is a, uh, a legal concept known as issue preclusion. That is, a jury has already made findings that Donald Trump sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll and that when he made the statement denying it, he knew it was false or he acted with reckless disregard to that fact. So any question that his lawyers ask that go down that road should elicit an objection from Carroll's lawyers and it should be sustained. If it goes so far as to taint the jury, there could even be a motion for a mistrial and a start over so that you, you, if there's a, a situation where they feel like they can't unring the bell. Uh, but this jury has been instructed that those findings had been made. And this case is all about the damages, the amount of money that E. Jean Carroll should be awarded to compensate her and to punish Donald Trump for engaging in this conduct. Let me play Donald Trump. This is what it is a Thursday at his press conference. This is after giving closing arguments at his New York civil fraud. This is the kind of stuff he does. Take a listen. Yeah, I'm going to go to it and I'm going to explain I don't know who the hell she is. I have no idea. They called me up years ago and they said, do you know about this woman 25 or 30 years ago? She doesn't even know the date, the time, the month, the season. She has no idea. He does that. What happens? I I think that the the question will simply be, we're we're here to talk about damages, not to talk about those kinds of things. So that kind of rhetoric should elicit an objection from E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, and he should be admonished to stop. Um, At some point, if he continues to say things that are outside of the parameters of the judge's ruling, he'll be asked to step down. Uh, We heard this in his testimony and his closing argument in the New York fraud case, where the lawyer was asked, Alina Haba, um, can you please control your client? Uh, And she wasn't interested in doing that. So uh, Donald Trump gets a chance to testify, but only if he can follow the rules. Uh, Adam, this is what Donald Trump is already uh, due for. He damages a result of sexual abuse, $2 million, punitive damages, 20 grand, damages as a result of defamation, 1 million, damages for reputation repair, 1.7 million, punitive damages for defamation, 280,000. How high could this go? So compensatory, they're asking for 10 million. They could get maybe as much as 15 million. But when, when it gets to punitive, that is up to the jury. And there is a reputational expert that will take the stand. Yeah. Her reputation has been damaged. What will it take to get her reputation back? And it's the same woman who testified in Giuliani case mm. that resulted in a damaging award of some $149 million. Wow. This could be very expensive for Mr. Trump. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, Adam Reese, Barbara McQuaid, thank you both very much. And still ahead, the right wing ramps up its war on black history with a fresh assault on the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On his federal holiday, no less. Classy. We'll be right back.
1957, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife Coretta Scott King traveled to West Africa to attend Ghana's independence ceremony. Here you see the Kings thanking their supporters for sending them to Ghana, which was due to be liberated in the coming days. Dr. King recognized the parallel between resistance against European colonialism in Africa and the fight against racism in the United States. Upon returning from Ghana, he shared his experiences in a sermon in Montgomery, Alabama, where he'd launched that famous bus boycott two years before. He spoke of seeing young children, as well as the elderly, on the streets of Accra, crying freedom. In his sermon on April 7, 1957, King said, quote, They were crying it in a sense that they had never heard it before, and I could hear that old Negro spiritual once more crying out, Free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, I'm free at last. That line, free at last, has become synonymous with King and would later become enshrined as the rousing end to his I Have a Dream speech. But it is believed that those words were first publicly used to talk about Ghana. Ten years after King's Ghana trip on April 4, 1967, a year to the day before he died, King delivered what was arguably his most controversial and politically charged speech in his entire career. It was a speech condemning the Vietnam War. We do not stop our war against the people of Vietnam immediately. The world will be left with no other alternative than to see this as some horrible, clumsy, and deadly game we have decided to play. The world now demands a maturity of America that we may not be able to achieve. It demands that we admit that we have been wrong from the beginning of our adventure in Vietnam, that we have been detrimental to the life of the Vietnamese people. It is easy now to assume most Americans oppose the war in Vietnam. But at the time, King was taking a huge risk. Most Americans supported the war. It was the anti-war movement who were in the minority. Even Roy Wilkins, head of the NAACP, rebuked King, saying civil rights groups do not have enough information on Vietnam or on foreign policy to make it their cause. Which brings us to the present day, where we are in a moment, once again, where it is controversial to call for peace. Not a lot of clergy are speaking out against President Biden on Gaza, despite a death toll topping 23,000 and American bombs raining on the narrow, crowded strip. But at the grassroots level, a lot of people are taking that risk, protesting at the White House, marching, including at the Capitol and calling for a ceasefire. It's not always a popular position, but it is a passionate one, carrying political risks for the president, just as Vietnam did for LBJ. Toward the end of his life, Dr. King's focus was on the Poor People's Campaign, fighting for a living minimum wage and for labor rights and for stopping the war. People use the same old line from King's March on Washington speech every year, but there was a lot more to his legacy, including on world affairs. He was considered radical and controversial, and he was often hated for it, which makes it all the more shameful when conservatives use the MLK holiday to tweet lukewarm, fuzzy quotes that they don't even fully understand. But the war on King's memory is far more than just misquoting the great man on his birthday. We are now in an era where the right is trying to delete all of the progress of the 20th century. And alongside that, attacking Dr. King on MLK Day. I'll tell you more about that after the break. 
Charlie Kirk is a far-right commentator, sort of like Tucker Carlson for the Gen Z right, who decided to come for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on Dr. King's holiday, calling the man a myth that has grown totally out of control, saying he's the most honored, worshipped, and deified person of the 20th century with the implication that he shouldn't be. None of this is new. Remember, there's nothing original about racism. In fact, attacking Dr. King is what white Southern Dixiecrats did in the 1950s and 60s and what their heirs, the Southern strategy Republicans, did in the 1980s as the MLK holiday was born. Joining me now is the Reverend Al Sharpton, president of the National Action Network and host of Politics Station and my friend and big brother. Okay, let's talk about this attack on Dr. King. Tacky, but what is the strategic point of it? The strategic point is for them to dismantle the civil rights movement, which now would be opposing uh, and does oppose those of us that are doing that work now. Affirmative action uh, being removed by the Supreme Court, voting rights that has been uh, nullified by the Supreme Court and all these other things. You have to try and discredit the one that really started moving the country that way. What Dr. King did with great courage, and I'm so happy you pointed out, even against some fellow civil rights leaders, was move the country toward a humane policy globally. When Dr. King made that speech at Riverside Church in April, exactly a year before his assassination, it was something that was not popular. Mm -hmm. With the day before he died, he was 55% negative in the polls in the black community. Yep. So this was a man that really set a tone that the late part of the 20th century went with. And they have to try and discredit him to discredit all of what happened and to justify banning books, banning black history, because if kids read this, they would be far more along the way toward where we were trying to go to build a just society. Yeah, they'd rather just read that same quote every year. And people like Bill Ackman, when he's not writing like 4,000 word screeds on Twitter or X Twitter, whatever it's calling itself, is now actually trying to claim that Dr. King would oppose diversity, equity and inclusion, which sounds comical and stupid. But for him to say that, it's because they think that that's a winning strategy with their supporters. And right. and and they distort Dr. King. They take one line of judged by the color of your skin, not the content of your character. But if you read the whole speech, he talked about America gave blacks a bad check that yes. bounced in the in, in the <laughs> bank of justice. Well, that is the 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 basis of dealing with affirmative action to make up what you denied blacks. What they won't deal with is that we did not fall behind by a natural order. Right. It was the law. We couldn't go to certain schools. We couldn't go and use public accommodations. My own mother had to drop out of school in the sixth or seventh grade in the South because that's the way it was. So when I uh, started growing up, she couldn't help me with some parts of my homework. She mm -hmm. made me do it. Yeah. But this was because of legal restraints. Rosa Parks was not taken off the bus because she was against a custom. She broke the law. <laughs> That's right. That's why they arrested her. You recently interviewed President Biden. Uh, let me play a clip of that. Trump is saying things that are just off the wall. He is most anti-democratic with his cap of a small D president in American history. The things he's saying. And he, he means them. He's talking about he's running to get revenge on people. 
Where do you assess where President Biden stands in terms of the electorate he needs the most? Black voters really carried him in the first time. But you have a lot of young black voters who are very much against his position on Gaza. Very, some even saying they won't vote. Arab American voters saying the same thing. Does, does he seem aware that he's got deficits in terms of his base? I think he's aware. And I think that he has to come out even more aggressive in terms of how he deals with situations. To be against what Netanyahu is doing is not make you anti-Semitic or anti-Israel. Clearly, a two-state solution is what many of us uh, are with. But you can't have a two-state solution where you have a Netanyahu that sees killing 23,000 people is, is just wrong. Many of us denounced October 7th with Hamas did. But you can't say that there's something wrong on one side and not say to kill children on the other side is just as inhumane. Many people, if not most in Israel, are opposed to Netanyahu because of his judicial proposals. Mm -hmm. Everybody in Gaza, many of them are against Hamas. So you can't have it both ways. You must deal with the fact that humanity and humanitarianism is not based on who's the ones being abused. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I, I hate it when people say, well, Dr. King would have, Dr. King would have said this. It's not hard for me to imagine where Dr. King would stand on the idea of 23,000 mostly women and children being killed. Like, that's not a stretch that he well, would be against that. You don't that. have to guess what Dr. King would have said. Read what he did say. There you go. And if you read what he did say yep. and he did do, yep. then you can make a fair assessment of what you think he would say today. Reverend Al Sharpton, always appreciate you. Thank you very much. That's a nice readout. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.